Today in the Marshall Pro Podcast, we have your week in sports cars episode, and it's going to be a short-ish one, and it's going to be a hyper-focused one. Two things that we can rarely ever claim to be things that happen with the week in sports cars, Graham Goodwin. We are going to focus on IMSA. We are going to do a second part of the show, that being a 24 Hours of Le Mans special where I, Marshall Pruitt, read a bunch of your questions to our resident specialist in terms of reporting, knowledge, presentation, radio, TV, carrier pigeons. Graham Goodwin, you're going to be at Le Mans, so I cannot wait for yep. us to get into that special show. So let's do this. Let's say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers, as always, and then our dear friends at torontomotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Then let's get right into IMSA. And I know that you usually throw all these at me. Might throw a couple back at you to get some further insight, but we've got about 45, 50 minutes or so that I need to beg off and start covering another race. So where shall we begin with IMSA? Well, we're going to kick off with all these questions really have come up from the State of the Series video that uh, uh, John Doonan published, IMSA published midweek. Uh, we're going to kick off with a number of questions on the new point system. Andrew Baxter, uh, Daniel Summersgeld, never heard of him, Otto Kinzel IV, SRA Smoking Puppy 841, Ryan Terpstra, all with variations on a theme. Andrew Baxter saying, IMSA's points table is dumb. Do you agree? Daniel uh, saying, one of our thoughts is personally, hashtag me personally, not a fan of triple figure points being awarded. Laz Briggs spreads in standings, giving the impression the championship is not being closely thought fought. Otto Kinzel um, says he's quite confused by it. Not sure why the uh, the increase 10 times was warranted. And uh, our friend the Smoking Puppy for uh, uh, 841, lots of question marks in that question. Um, and Ryan Terps are finally uh, coming up with how many advanced degrees do broadcasters and journalists need to explain the new points? Figures you'll need at least a CPA. He can c- calculating points actuarial degree. Marshall Pruitt, it yeah. is a, a, a completely different look to the point system. What say you? First, I say I love Andrew Baca because his opening question, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, eight words. It says it all. Imps's point table is dumb. Do you agree? Um, I also love the fact that you spell out smoking puppy eight, four, one as not to be confused with smoking puppy eight, four, two. I don't know, yeah, but it's a good friend. So here's how I have grasped things a little bit. Friends. Imsa wanted to spice up their qualifying show, lack of show, but by and large, spice up qualifying to make it a more meaningful thing to tune into, if not come and watch trackside. By and large, on the Pro-Am class side, so that being LMP2 and GT Daytona, uh, we assume that's also going to include the new LMP3 class, which we'll get to in a moment. Pro pro classes, GT Le Mans and DPI, not really a, a question or issue in terms of qualifying fun. We know that the best drivers are in those cars. The highest skilled drivers are in those cars for qualifying. Therefore, we see representative lap times, Graham. As fast as they can go, as fast as that car can go, we know that that's what we're getting. Tune in and watch. That's a real battle. Eh, not often the case in the pro-am classes where because of the rules 
the minimum drive time uh, numbers and such, we often have the AMs placed in the car for qualifying. And no disrespect to the AMs, but obviously in almost every instance, they are not capable of coming close to the pros. Therefore, Pro-Am qualifying in IMSA for a good long while now has really been a thing where, of course, we set who's fastest and who's slowest in the Pro-Am classes. Uh, It's not a lot of fireworks. Vehicular dynamics gone mad and, oh my goodness, look at the lap time. Look at the angle of the cars. It's just, wow. Uh, We don't get a lot of that because most of the time we see the AMs put in so that they can start the race and be pulled out and the pros can do the majority of the race afterwards. So qualifying in Pro-Am, all about race strategy, not a demonstration of maximum potential speed for the vehicle. This is where this qualifying change came from, which piggybacks and connects directly to the points question. The goal is to try and spice up qualifying. So now, great, in the... uh, the pro-am classes in particular, they're going to go to this new structure, Graham, where the am qualifies for track position starting the race and the pro qualifies for points, qualifying points, brand new thing. So we're getting to what I believe is the heart of the questions here and an answer. Well, if your point structure as it sits currently offers 35 points to win it'd be somewhat weird to offer 3.5 points for pole position under this new point structure so how do you turn qualifying points into a meaningful number well you multiply everything by 10 so that a win is now 350 points And if you earn pole, well, instead of having a dot in there, 3.5, well, you get 35 points. And so it just looks better and kind of sort of fits and is also one-tenth the value of a race win. That, to me, is something that I find a little bit odd uh, in... IndyCar, for example, uh, you do get one point for pole, and I believe they pay, what is it, 50 points for a win? So if you were to do the multiplying factor of 10, that would be 500 points for the win and 10 points for pole. If I'm just using IndyCar as an example, Graham, uh, hey, you get a point for winning pole and that's great and it's helpful in the championship frame but it tells you that it's a token <laughs> awarding right it's not some massive prize in terms of size of the points for earning pole uh yeah i don't know if we could say that exact thing in imsa because boy 35 points for a pole 350 for a win they're placing a lot of emphasis on pole and granted those points pay out for second and qualifying and third. Uh, we're just talking speeds with the pros as well, uh, where again, they're just going after points. So if you qualify second in class, it's 30, what two points, I think third is 30 and so on. But this is the part that I just think is a little bit 
on the nose, as you mentioned, Mr. Baxter here. Uh, I Someone's going to have to tell me different, but I swear this whole let's multiply the points by 10 thing was just done so that they can incorporate the qualifying points and not have to use a decimal point between the numbers. Mm, it's a bit weird. It, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. It's a very different field. And I think when it's something so different, it's numbers when it comes down to it. When it's so different, it does tend to attract that attention. It will be interesting to see how quickly and whether that beds in to uh, the consciousness of the fan base because uh, pretty clearly IMSA is still extremely popular, uh, certainly with our listeners. You know, the um, the other thing that jumps out is I'm just thinking of so if we're going to incentivize Graham qualifying, right? And just drawing back to IndyCar, there's a single point for the pole winner. You qualify second, nothing. You qualify 20th, nothing. It's one point for one driver that does the best of everyone. In IMSA, it's actually for the top 30 drivers. And so, granted, I can't think of any class that's going to have 30 drivers, but... um they you everybody gets points uh, effectively for how they qualify so that's something where i don't understand that as well right the of course you get more points if you're on pole than not being on pole but you also get more points for qualifying 11th than the person who qualified 12th so again just thinking incentives it seems like we've skewed things in a bit of a odd way so if we're going to do that though graham because you know my brain is highly bad could we incentivize pit stops could the team with the fastest average pit stops be given points uh could we incentivize driver changes the fastest drive i mean i'm just saying if we're going to start do if you want to open this up what do we do uh, fastest drink bottle exchange, fastest wipe of headlights, fastest removal of windscreen tear off. I don't know, but uh, maybe our listeners can come up with some other. Well, why don't we incentivize that? That doesn't make any damn sense. Um, and and kind of go from there. Moving slightly aside from uh, yet yet slightly pulling everybody's leg here a little but moving aside mp from the point where it does seem that there's a kind of international sport at the moment of removing the role of the uh, pit crew from the equation in strategy and in the rule book there is something there isn't there um around the potential if you're going to start to incentivize things of recognizing the role of this as a team sport hundred percent so that's what i'm saying uh there's me thinking you were being sarcastic no uh let's let's go ahead and award points for fastest pit teardown whomever packs everything up the fastest there you go (laughs) 10 points for you and hey fastest driver uh toilet lube break Ah, there's three points uh maybe if you're the best you get two points it's a deuce Uh, i don't know but, uh, yeah, I mean, again, uh, I'm speaking out the side of my face, but if you're going to give points for qualifying, reward the people who do the best, not 
everybody for simply turning up. And I know that you could say that about the race. Well, doesn't everybody, basically everybody get points in the race just for showing up? Well, they go out there and race really hard for a significant amount of time. And I can see justifying rewarding that with points for effectively everybody that does that. But for a really simple, let's determine the order of how the event starts and who starts where. And it's, it's a 10 minute basically blast per class type deal. Uh, okay, we'll add another layer where in the pro-am classes, the pro climbs in and they qualify and they get points based on how quickly they go. Okay, but again, I would just say qualifying is such a meritocracy of speed, whereas the races tend to be something where a lot of fate and misfortune and a lot of things conspire against uh, the re- results being just clean and without any outside influence. I just think it's weird to then kind of say well hey if you turn up for qualifying and there's less than 30 or fewer of you i'll get points for just simply going around uh bizarre man i i don't get that at all so let's move to something that maybe i will get (laughs) well let's move to the other major point that pops up here from the state of the series state of the sports address and it will not be a surprise to either you mp or to the listeners um, to hear that's to do with the introduction into the Emerson Weather Tech Sports Car Championship for a six-race championship and a additional race at the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona of LMP3. So uh, this will be the introduction of the Gen 2 uh, LMP3s, the new cars that were introduced this year in Europe, were due to come into IMSA Prototype Challenge uh, next season. There will be a two-class system in Prototype Challenge for the new cars and the old cars retained. Uh, but the uh, 2020 spec cars, so more power, better aero, more safety features on those cars, um, will also be welcomed into um, a six-round, or effectively seven-race season. It includes, fairly remarkably, all four of the Enduros, albeit with Rolex 24, as I say, being a standalone, uh, plus three other races. Variety of questions here from both sides of the spectrum, really. Um, uh, Daniel Sommersgill, John Schultzer, Right Turn Lover, Alex Eichmiller, Patrick Lindsay, not that one, uh, John McCarthy, James Counter, Dinesh Ramasar, <laughs> Lance Snyder, <laughs> Jose Tapia. There's a lot of interest here, but let's chuck in a couple of the major points here. First thing is, what, just just some general thoughts from UMP about how you think the classes will now interact on track. If I chuck into the mix here, um, we have had the opportunity to see these cars in competition in two series uh, that I've uh, been trackside for. First of which is the Michelin Le Mans Cup, which is a pretty large group of LMP3 cars and GT3 machinery. They generally, when driven well, are well ahead of the GT3 cars on occasion with, um, you know, uh, inexperienced gentleman drivers and pros in the GT3s. You'll see the GT3s rise up through it. And then, of course, the European Le Mans series with a full grid of LMP2 cars, 15 or so this year, uh, about a dozen or so LMP3s, LMP2s, LMP3s, uh, and then GTE cars. And unless things start to get a little bit busy or we've had some poor weather, it has to be said that's a mix that has worked. How do you think it's going uh, to crack through, though, with that DPI, LMP2, GTLM, GTD grid, LMP3 cars coming MMP? 
I don't know. It might be your microphone. It sounded like you said the word LMPC a lot. Um, <laughs> I didn't, but LMP3. Uh, yes. Kidding aside, I am reminded of LMPC, and I'm also reminded of the American Le Mans series GTC class when I think of the upcoming move to incorporating LMP3. Identical reasoning for LMP3 as both LMPC and GTC, that being car counts. Hey, uh, low, not good, need more, need more vitality in terms of new entrants possibly, new drivers. We have to get the car counts up, and the easiest way to do that, because there is one class that isn't, say, a spec manufacturer gt style class where we could do this and that is lmp3 where there's just simply enough of them uh, sitting here in the states obviously others that could come in from elsewhere in the world but there's a big enough number of them to where if we're able to add some half close to all of them that have been doing the independent standalone uh, imsa prototype challenge series which is all the LMP3 cars. If we could bring over some or all of those to play in the big series, our total car count issues will be fixed, at least in the short term. The original question you asked, hello, Rocky. Uh, it's Hi, Rocky. almost time to feed them. Uh, I have significant concerns here, and it's for many, <laughs> for many reasons. You mentioned the fact that the smallest slowest, least expensive prototype category working globally that is truly meant to be even, I would say, lower than GT3 in terms of it being a training ground, a place where really and truly gentlemen, gentlewoman drivers True AMs, like real AMs, not sneaky silvers and, you know, kind of pro-grade drivers who've been rated as an AM, but like real, hey, I'm learning, (laughs) drinking from the proverbial fire hose with how much I'm learning about racing, endurance racing, and all the things. At least here, that's what LMP3 happens to be. Mm -hmm. The thought of elevating... Too many of those drivers to the wicked competitiveness, the take-no-prisoners approach and speed and attacking nature of GTLM drivers, (laughs) much less DPI drivers. I do not look forward to this in any way as a result of this polar opposite dynamic of speed, skill, and experience. So again, I'm not talking ELMS, I'm, or, uh, I'm just talking strictly here at home for what I've seen. Uh, uh, MP, just a question here. Um, I presume that IMSA have it within their gift. Should they be presented with an entry for drivers that they deem to be not experienced enough to reject that entry? They absolutely do. Uh, I have been told... 
and there's no formal number applied to this, meaning, you know, written into a rule, but I've been told that they anticipate welcoming between 10 and 12 highly qualified entries into the WeatherTech Championship level LMP3 class. Um, speaking outside, Graham, of the Invitational Rolex 24, where mm-hmm. LMP through this LMP3 class will kick off, uh, and then Sebring, Salem, Six Hours of the Glen, Petit Le Mans. Uh, I would love to hear that 10 to 12 LMP3s will sign up and fill that quota. Mm-hmm. At least right now, disregarding Daytona, which I certainly think could have some international LMP3s oh, yeah. turning, right? I think Daytona's going to be a, we'll just say an outlier. Getting to the real six-race full-season commitment, I, uh, I'm i struggling to see how they're going to have anything like the 10 to 12 that they're looking for. I mention that because while they have said privately, aiming for 10 to 12, highly qualified at teams and drivers, that's an easy thing to do, my friend, as you know, like the Lamar entry list, when you have 20 <clears throat> teams applying for those 10 to 12 slots. If you've got six or seven, I don't know how heavily you can apply that super high quality talent filter that you would want to otherwise that you could if you had an oversubscription. My fear is they are not going to reach that 10 to 12 they're aiming for. And the reasons for that, the reason I was laughing when you're reading off all the folks' names who sent in questions wasn't because of their names. It was, man, I need to call IndyCar and see if they can hold (laughs) round one of the Honda Indy 200 that I have to report on here in uh, 39 minutes because it's going to (laughs) take about 39 hours to get through all this stuff on just LMP3. So, again, I'll breeze through it. But, yes, everyone, everyone with questions, trust me, I damn near sent in some of my own questions this week because I'm still scratching my head. Just one thing you said there, and I'll chuck in this one into the mix that isn't on our questions. But all of a sudden, there is potential for a clash that no one thought was a problem to potentially be a problem uh, because one of the big opportunities for the LMP3 teams in Europe is that they could add the Asian Le Mans series to their program, uh, which, of course, happens in January and happens to clash with, joining the chorus, the Rolex 24 hours at Daytona this year. Because of the... So what that could mean is we see an interesting choice for some of those teams between being able to take part in the first really truly blue ribbon event that's been available to LMP3 teams um, or battle for a championship and a Le Mans place uh, with four races in three weeks in, in Asia. That could be quite an interesting dynamic. Uh, that Which brings, by the way, one, uh, one, uh, one other thing that is raised in the questions here, which is, are these cars equipped for... 24-hour racing. Now, we have had yeah. LMP3 cars take play, take part in 24-hour races 
um, in the past. Uh, the Brick Car 24 Hours did have a Janetta one time. We've had LMP3 type machinery at the 25 Hours of Thunder Hill. Didn't do that great, but so we have had them. But it's simply not a format of racing that we have seen these cars in before. So the other part of the equation, which just has me scratching my head, and not that it matters, but I will share freely that for those who would listen behind the scenes at IMSA, I implored them to not do this. Uh, I understand why they have. We They need car counts. They need entries. They need the money that come from those entries. They need, you know, There's real financial and image-based needs for this. The last race, the, uh, the most recent um boy why am i forgetting the name of who sponsored the event but uh the six hour race at road atlanta at 28 cars graham and that's all four Mm -hmm. classes in attendance it wasn't one of the races where they uh paired off one of the classes 28 uh i mean again i I don't mean to keep bringing up indycar but today's indycar race has one class and 23 entries Mm -hmm. so uh, this is not, I fully get the reasons why, because the indicators are saying things are trending down. We also yep. know Porsche GT team is leaving at the end of the year. Uh, we might suggest that there could be a couple of other losses. There could be some additions too, but uh, we know they know. They know we know. We all know they need cars. So got it. Understand the reason why. The question about quality and preparedness and readiness for some of the drivers to be in these vehicles with a Pippo Durrani set on kill uh, or Lawrence Van Tour, whomever again this is some these are some rude awakenings that I fear will be coming we've seen this happen before Graham with the LMPC cars and really making bad decisions getting in the way and calamity happening so that's where the fears are driven from. The other item, and exactly to what you're mentioning about the 24-hour race, 12-hour, 10, 6, you name it. So, yeah, if you are a performance tech racing, the awesome Brent O'Neill, who enters an Eureka 07 uh, Gibson in the LMP2 class quite often, well, you have pit equipment. You have maybe not all, but you've got a lot of the stuff you need to go to a pit lane and run an LMP3 car, not talking about the short races, but the true endurance races, that's great. They've run multiple cars. They have plenty of equipment in the shop. Wonderful. Uh, There's a lot of teams running LMP3 cars that IMSA would hope would sign up for the WeatherTech championship class. That do not. That would Mm -hmm. have to invest significant amounts of money on infrastructure to have the parts pieces timing stands and refueling this is and that just there's a big capital investment required just to have the bits to put onto pit lane even in the garage uh, a lot right there before you've even gone to the track then the other part which is the thing that scares me almost as equally graham about the potential of of driver combos it is holy poop what are we talking about for budgets for a sub gt3 class so overnight we go from having this six hour i'm sorry this uh six round imsa prototype challenge class 
where the longest race, I believe, is four hours on the docket this year. Everything else is hour 45, two hours, whatever. But all their races are four hours or less. Most of them are, are under three hours. All of a sudden, in this six-race official championship, three of your races are the th- three of the longest races in the schedule. And the opening one is indeed the longest of all. It's invitational, I get that. But bolting uh, three quarters of mm-hmm. IMSA's uh, endurance calendar as half of the LMP3 schedule. Brother, this is where the costs just go astronomical because of all the consumables and breaks and this is and that's. And are all of these parts and components going to complete 12 hours of Sebring and be usable for the next race? Or are teams going to be buying new gearboxes and new uprights. And again, we don't know the answers to all this, but this is not some quick thing like, Hey, the nope. folks spending money in the six race independent series where they don't do long races. It's just going to be kind of matchy matchy in the same when they come play in the big series. This is not going to be cheap. So that's the other thing that makes me wonder if we're ever going to get to that 10 to 12, uh, entry goal. So I get the reason why to close, I, I I need to hear some really good reasoning for why many teams would choose to do this to even get to half of that 10 to 12 number. So I hope I'm wrong. I just can't figure out how. I'm going to give you a bit of context for LMP3 with the point you've just made there, uh, MP, which is the, the hours just for racing, forget for a moment practicing qualifying. If you added up the season we have this year for the European Le Mans series, add in the Asian Le Mans series and add in the Michelin Le Mans Cup, all of the race time for those three series together, it still is not the number of hours for the four endurance races, let alone the sprint races on top of that. And that's for three separate championships. I did the math Um, on that, mate. And again, I could always be wrong, but I believe I counted IMSA's prototype challenge schedule for this year as having i believe it was 14 hours of total yep. on track racing that's not including practices and what it but yep. just 14 hours of racing if you throw in the invitational rolex 24 which i assume every season long entrant would do because you I guess in so. theory can raise more money by having more drivers it's the biggest event so you can maybe sell more sponsorship that would go from 14 hours in the standalone series to six zero, 60 hours in that same six race plus this one 24-hour invitational in the big series. Just saying, man, uh, <laughs> it's like building a house. If you say you want to build a house that is 2,000 square feet, uh, you get quoted a certain amount of money. You tell that builder, ah, you know, let's make it 6,000 square feet. It's not going to be the same number. Holy <laughs> crap. Lots more building materials and labor and time. This So of the many things I need to do but haven't, getting a, a projection from some anticipated WeatherTech Championship LMP3 entrance on what the budget difference will be, I just need to chase that down because I... I think it might be a number that has us going what so anyways uh we have my friend 25 ish minutes 
So I guess one 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 really quick question on P3 before we shift on to a couple of bits about schedule, uh, schedule and GTLM, which is, do we expect these teams to be um, new teams to the championship? In other words, additional cars, or are we going to see some teams in LMP2 and or GTD switching? Not sure about switching. Did see the press release from Brent's performance tech mm-hmm. team saying, they are committing to running in the new LMP3 class. They did not commit to car count, driver names, any of that. Their press releases of late, by the way, uh, they certainly leave more questions than answers. So that, that's can, I, been... can, I, can I use the word ramble? Well, how about not understanding the concept of information <laughs> dissemination through printed yeah. press releases. Um, I think I divine the fact that they're not scrapping their LMP2 program in order yep. to do LMP3, so I think they're going to keep doing P2, which would mean they're not leaving one to do the other. I So, obvious statement alert. If you can tell a P2 team owner, DPI, GTLO, GTD, that they can make money by entering LMP3s starting next year, you will see that 10 to 12 car maximum filled immediately. I don't know how they're going to make money, so I don't think that's going to be too much of a thing. So therefore, I don't know if we're going to see a whole lot of additions from existing WeatherTech teams, uh, defections from one class to LMP3. I think that, again, could be... Uh, if it were to happen, it would only, I think, happen from an LMP2 team putting all of its uh, weight behind LMP3. I do believe it's going to be vast majority of IMSA prototype challenge teams stepping up. So, mm-hmm. again, but I just need to get a feel for the numbers first to find out, like, oh, is that something a person, a AM driver currently paying for a... A fourteen-hour season right now would reasonably try and pay for at the up to sixty-hour level in the big series because that's really man, that's the deciding factor. What is what's your AM paying now pre Weather Tech Championship level, and could the multiplication factor, whatever it is, of this current budget, is that something they would even consider? And if not. We have a non-starter. And by the way, first time I can remember that you could actually run the same car in both the Maiden Championship and a Challenge Series. Absolutely. That, that's perfectly spotted as usual by you, Monsieur Goodwin. And, uh, and uh, also by one of our listeners. Let's uh, trot on through because there's a bit of ground to get through before you go on and do the next thing. Um, Damien Peachman says, Marshall, are you surprised IMSA didn't cut a race or two easing finances for the teams in 2021 from the calendar? Have to say, I was surprised at that. Thousand percent, Damien. Yeah. Uh, we mention this every couple of months on the show based on whatever question that leads us to it. Racing is meant to be a scalable thing. When economies are booming, we tend to see more cars, more races, more everything. And when we have the inverse of that, we have the inverse of that. It feels like we're in the inverse of that. Even if LMP3 does bring car counts up and boy, that's great. And we're at 40 cars everywhere we go. 
it still feels like the economy is in a place where, yeah, if IMSA were to carve one or two off, um, I don't know if you'd go a whole lot more than that. I mean, what is it? We have a couple of classes with 10 races for the year. Uh, what is it? One with eight, I think, and, and one or two with six. It, yeah, uh, like you, I'm a bit surprised that in recognition of what we we hear, Graham, you and I, every day, and those that we speak with during the uh, the year of the COVID, it is just wacky, crazy, uncontrolled concern about how we're going to pay for this. Sponsors yep. are either wanting some money back. That's something we hear a lot of. Hey, uh, they paid for a full thing. They're not getting the full thing. They want money back, or they're going to delay some of their payments. Uh, who knows? Um, you take all that, what's happening right now, we're at the exact time of the year, August and September, where pretty much all business for the following year is concluded. Driver contracts, sponsorship, all these things. These things are being pushed back and delayed. Very, you know, we're not here. How's this? Other than performance text, kind of non-numerical, we can't tell you what it is, but we're going to confirm we're going to do LMP3 next year. Uh, we haven't seen anything, my friend. I'm just talking IMSA. We haven't seen anything from anyone saying they're doing anything next year. We know we're going to hear it. So the main takeaway here, Damien, is, yeah, uh, totally surprised that we haven't taken at least one, if not two, races off the schedule uh, to reflect the financial questions and insecurity that we expect to carry on into next year. Jordan Hotwood says, with safety car periods set to increase due to the LMP3s being added to the big series, is it now time for IMSA to finally implement a full a form of full course yellow or code 60? I'm going to throw that one back at you, Graham. What do you think? Um, I don't see the harm. Uh, to a casual observer, the, 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 the rhythm of the safety car periods in the States, particularly with the shorter races, does seem to take quite a while. It does seem to take a chunk of that race out it's got better over time i think rather than worse we had a period where it was pretty overwhelming but um i think they'd do themselves a favor if they trialed it it's almost like you know it's a kind of second and see basis and just just trial that it's worked in a lot of other places to keep the rhythm of a race together and to give you the race direction the opportunity to fully and neutralize a race should they need to do so. Uh, but I wonder, particularly if you've got you know, something like debris, etc., um, it's a good way just to press the pause button rather than effectively a, a stop and go, uh, which takes, I mean, I mean, how long do you reckon? 15 minutes to get through that process? Yeah, it, it can. <laughs> if you're watching from home, or even if you're in the grandstands, it's enough time to go. Uh, visit the water closet and tend to nature's business and probably get a beer and wait for a sandwich or a hamburger or something to be made for you. So ample time. It's a chunk. Okay. Uh, Two more major points before we leave this 
trot through uh, IMSA. The first applies to GTLM. There's two questions here, and one I'm going to add. Uh, John Schultz says, where does GTLM go from here? What does the future hold for GTE cars in IMSA? Is it now just a harvesting off of the remaining manufacturer's interest until it's run dry? Motorsports 86 says... Uh, I know we talked about Porsche pulling out of IMSA GTLM before, but didn't really talk about why the pullout is from IMSA over the WEC. Why do you think Porsche chose to stick with the WEC? So a couple of other points I've seen as well, which are at the periphery of this, which is a couple of people surprised that we haven't seen the opportunity given in 2021 for a GTD Pro class, maybe alongside the GTLM cars, MP. Something you and I have discussed on the show many times, Graham, this uh, future of GT racing, how it might pan out in IMSA, whether that could be mirrored in Europe, you know, whether it might happen in Europe first and then be copied over here. Everything that I know says that the LMP3, I'll call it experiment, uh, the bridge uh, of getting numbers up, that bridge experiment, it's a two-year thing. It's a two-year plan and meant to expire after two years so that we will have a consolidation of GT classes. And I do not anticipate, based on what you have been hearing for a long time, I've been hearing for a long time, that GTLM will indeed not be a thing once it expires terms of uh, being a formula and that its replacement will be the aforementioned not only in the question but like many of us who cover sports car racing have hypothesized we're going to go to that gt3 pro pro and gt3 pro am model maintain what we have right now just talking imsa with gt daytona which is a by rule pro am driver formula but replace GTLM with a fully pro version of GT3. So as I understand it, this LMP3 stopgap help measure is just the thing that has been uh, dialed up while we wait for pro-pro slash pro-am GT3 racing to take hold. And hopefully in theory, Graham, get them car counts back up to a good place. Uh, the Porsche um, decision, if I'm right, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that would have been a Porsche North America decision. Yes. and So it's not a matter of Porsche corporately making that decision. Porsche continentally made that decision. And I can't say, because I don't know, if someone from uh, the, the mothership in Germany was involved in that and, you know, said or suggested or made whatever, you know, I can't tell you if and what leverage might have been applied there, but I do know that with the USA being, you know, always Porsche's either first or second uh, best sales land, that yes, indeed, uh, although Porsche, you know, they, (laughs) they certainly thrive here in North America, what has been going on here Uh, in terms of lackluster sales across the entire industry and downsizing with staff and layoffs and firings and everything that, again, I'm I'm reiterating what most of us already know. But yes, as it was explained, I believe, in the press release and as I've only continued to hear, 
This decision has been made directly as a result of COVID-19, and we don't want to be out spending money playing race car while too many of our uh, family members are struggling and hurting. I think also, Graham, which is maybe something we've discussed before, but I don't know if too fine of a point's been put on it. We have it on pretty good authority and have had it on pretty good authority for a while pre-COVID that Porsche will be playing in DPI 2.0, also known as uh, LMDH. If it were not for that, and that there is slash was, has been a plan to uh, step up to the top class, I, I can't say if this leaving GTLM right now decision would have been made. Uh, or I think it might have been a harder one if there was no couple years down the road destination that they were already aiming for. So without that, maybe it would have taken longer to arrive at this decision. Maybe they would not have arrived at this decision. The fact that there is something that we are all confident will happen uh, here in a year or two from now, uh, I think that made the, oh, we're going to step back and curtail the GTLM program a bit early. I think that just became a little bit easier to green light. Okay, final question. And this trot through IMSA comes from Jacob Bame, and it's around Acura and the wake of the announcement that Penske and Acura are um, splitting at the end of what? this year. Yeah, no. Um, when we hear the 2021 Acura DPI plans at Mid-Ohio, which I think is what we still expect. Yes, uh, says I've Jacob, been, been told that that is uh, definitely still happening. Okay. Can we expect some driver announcements as well? If so, could we see Hinch and Rossi sharing a car, at least in the NAEC? Me personally, hashtag me personally, he goes on to say he'd love to see uh, Mike Shank racing Acura with Ten Cameron, Ricky Taylor, ha- uh, Ryan Hunter Ray for the NEC. He hopes a number seven Andretti Acura with uh, Hinch and Rotti, Colton Herter for the NEC, Jack Harvey on the ready to sub for anyone if necessary, says Jacob. Are we going to get drivers as well as teams? Jacob, I love that you're just turning this into. Uh... Uh, what instead of the International Motorsports Association, the IndyCar Motorsports Association here, <laughs> uh, I would anticipate some driver announcements. I would not anticipate all, based okay. on who I firmly believe will be part of those announcements. I think there might be some some diverging philosophies on how to announce such things and what should be announced while the season is still in play, Graham. So you have one popular approach, which is, hey, uh, we're going to have some drivers next year that are driving for you at your team over there, but we're telling you, in case you didn't already know, they're leaving and coming to us. So that gets a little... Uh, spicy sometimes then you have the other approach which is hey we're gonna do something different with our cars or manufacture next year and we don't want a whole bunch of grief while the season's still going uh by announcing the drivers who are probably going to be leaving another team so we're just going to announce the fact that we're changing brands or moving to a manufacturer that we weren't with before whatever it might be and leave the driver names out of it so we already know that there's going to be a 
brand change with Acura, leaving Team Penske. That automotive brand will be going to uh, two different teams. Uh, I'm fairly confident one of them will involve a brand change. The other one won't. Um, but yeah, two philosophies. The let everyone know your, your tea, spill the tea a little bit early, and then, oh boy, hey there, short timer. <laughs> so we're not good enough for you or whatever, you know, kind of stuff you can do. I've had that happen before at teams that I've worked at. I've had that happen in the middle of a season. <laughs> a driver did really well for us, and our team wasn't smart enough to sign them to a full season deal and just was signing them to race by race. And then we turned up at the next race and we're alerted, oh, yeah, by the way, got to change some uh, uh, stickers on the car, put a different name on there, because uh, bigger team hired our guy away. And I think he went and, like, grabbed pole in the race and, like, just kicked our ass. So um, that's not a whole lot of fun. But it's also not super fun when you know your guy is leaving uh, with a couple of races left on the schedule, Graham, because yeah. – you know, if it's moving to a better opportunity and you know you can't offer that driver the same thing, yeah, you're probably rooting for him a little bit more. There's also, I mean, it's still the, hey, I'm telling you advance, dear boyfriend or girlfriend, I'm going to leave you in two months for someone else that I believe is smarter, stronger, prettier, whatever it is, two months from now. Imagine coming home to that every night, like going, really? <laughs> you didn't just say I'm leaving and I'm out. You you're told me you're going to hang around for two more months and we're going to count down the days. It, I know it's a little bit high school drama. It, race car teams aren't always the most evolved thing, my friend. So you can have some of those emotions running within the team of like, really? All right, well, screw you then. But inevitably these are professional teams they're not going to give up do better or do you know do a lesser job uh they want to end on a high note but i think that's what's going to play out here to close our show graham i think that's what we might see one team that announces maybe not the whole thing right including endurance drivers but at least the primary drivers and on the other one we might have to wait till the end of the season for that announcement uh out of respect for uh not bringing any acrimony or heat while the uh, championship is still on great stuff that brings to a close our quick fire run through your questions our listeners questions in the wake of the imsa state of the series announcement we've got another show as marshall said at the top of the uh, program uh, in the next couple of days as marshall and i run through your questions about next weekend's le mans 24 hours and all the other news that's been around in the world of ato racing uh, my guess is that might be a little bit less quick fire for now, though, this has been the Week in Sports Cars Part 1, uh, brought to you, as always, by Cooper Tyres, by Bell Helmets USA, by the Justice Brothers, and by Tor- TorontoMotorsports.com. I've been Graham Goodwin. He's been Marshall Pruitt. He's going to shift into IndyCar gear right now. Good night. <laughs>